Hey, what is up, Mile Higher homies? Welcome back to Mile Higher Podcast, episode 111. And today we are celebrating 420 by talking about the war on drugs, which is a very highly requested topic and is really interesting and goes into so many other topics that we talk about. It's really a conspiracy, too, if you think about it. And we'll explain why. But yes, I would say this is a war on drugs conspiracy episode to Mm -hmm. some extent. Definitely. But we also want to introduce our special guest here. We have my boyfriend and cannabis enthusiast and also someone who um, knows a lot about the industry. So, John, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself or a little bit about your uh, background? Thank you for the lovely intro there, Janelle. <laughs> I just wanted to start. Thanks, guys, for having me back on the podcast. Yes, John in the was studio, on another First episode. time in the studio. So yes. This is yeah. Awesome. Yep. This is really cool. Um, so, yeah, I work in the uh, cannabis industry, and I am joining Josh and Kendall here on the podcast to give a little insight and background just from my opinions and knowledge from on what I've seen. Very excited to be here. Yeah, man. Thank you so much, guys. Yeah, I'm excited to dive into this with you because a lot of this does have to do with cannabis and what better person than somebody who works in the industry to yeah. give us, mm-hmm. you know, some of the details around, you know, why is it so regulated? What's the government doing with it right now and all that good stuff. So mm-hmm. glad to have you here, man. Also, we're celebrating someone's birthday. It is Miss Kendall birthday. Ray's quarantine 27th birthday. Hell At yeah. least uh, when the video is going out. It is yes. officially your birthday. So be sure to leave a happy birthday comment. It's also Earth Day. Oh, yeah, it is. April 22nd. Happy Perfect Earth for day. a Taurus like you. Yeah. So it's a great week for us. We love this 420 yeah, it's her birthday, birthday and, Earth Day. Yeah. It's a great week. It's a great week. 420 all week. So <laughs> 420 all week. 420 all month. Really. Yeah. 42020. Yeah, it really is. But we have a little cake here that we made. We'll pull it out. Made some fun um, later on in the episode. But yeah, we got a fun fetty cake. So we're gonna whip out the cake and have a little birthday party. Talk about oh, some yeah. some uh, cannabis and war on drugs here. And mm-hmm. oh yeah. And I just also wanted to say thank you to everybody that came and checked out my new show, Lights Out. It was a very successful launch, and the first episode is out. It's called The Devil Made Me Do It. It's a haunting possession and murder case all in one, and it's super creepy. And, uh, yeah, I really enjoyed doing that episode and looking forward to everything else I got coming for Lights Out. And, yeah, thanks for all the support. We were made into the top charts, like, straight off the bat. So super excited about it. Crazy. You guys really came out in support for the show. It's exciting. Definitely. So yeah, it's on YouTube as well. So you can check out the Lights Out podcast on YouTube and anywhere else you listen to your favorite podcasts. But moving on, I wanted to thank our sponsors today, Stamps.com and Quip. And also guys, we are dropping a new 420 collection in the merch store. It's been a while since we've refreshed the merch and we've got a bunch of new really cool tie-dye designs coming your way. I'm super excited for this collection. Bunch of hoodies. We also did a bunch of smoking accessories. So we've got mile higher rolling papers, new mile higher grinders. We also have mile higher cannabis containers as well. Keep that shit fresh. Absolutely. (laughs) We wanted to wear it for this episode before we dropped it, but unfortunately the whole process got a little delayed because of, you know, the pandemic going on, but uh, we're super excited to get our hands on some of these pieces ourselves. We're really excited about how the collection turned out. If you like tie dye, you'll really like these so definitely check them out. We also have a few more extended sizes. We're trying to, uh, yeah, branch into some more sizes. It's a little dip more difficult, but uh, we're working on that. And yeah, hopefully you guys like it. I really like how this turned out. Yeah, me too. 
I can't wait for our stuff to get here. Me either. <laughs> I'm so excited for that blue tie dye one. Ooh. Oh, yes, I know. I, I love, love the that. shirt. I love how the grinders turned out. So yeah. So cool. And it's, it's like a great time to get a hoodie. You know, everyone's mm-hmm. chilling inside lounge wears the rage right now. Everyone I know is like buying loungewear online. Oh yeah, absolutely. And you guys can check out that collection at milehire.com. All right, let's go ahead and get into some woke news this week. We've got some very interesting stories for you. And the first one is about some new technology that MIT researchers are developing where they are creating a device that you'll wear like a glove. They compare it to like a Nintendo glove that's got a bunch of sensors on it. And you wear this glove and it essentially allows you to hack your dreams. And it allows you to create things in your dreams sort of in an artificial way. So like you're able to even lucid dream with this device potentially. Yeah, I was going to say it sounds like artificial lucid dreaming. So this device that they are creating is called the Dormio. And it basically, you wear it and it tracks your biorhythms and engages with your mind while you're dreaming. And the sensors that they actually put on this thing detect your muscle tone, heart rate, and skin conductance. And I think they have a little like promo video for it. So I'll just show that real quick because it helps you get a better idea visually what it is. So for those listening, the glove is just looks like a normal little glove with the sensors on it, like I mentioned. But essentially the way that it works is that as you're like in that stage, the semi-conscious stage right before you fall asleep, the glove emits a pre-recorded audio signal through it, which then you hear as you're falling asleep. And then that triggers whatever you hear to appear in your dream, if that makes sense. So like binaural beats or by how do you say that? <laughs> Binarial beats. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. I'm not sure how to say it though. It's like a certain type of sound that's supposed to make you either calm or focused depending on the frequency of it. Yeah, I don't know exactly what the science is behind it as far as exactly how it works, but you hear, so for example, so this, this will help put it into perspective for you. They conducted a 50 person experiment in which the glove delivered an audio cue of tiger, which then this caused the participants to experience a tiger in their dreams right after. So it's like actual words. Yeah. So it's not just a sound. Yes, exactly. It's an actual audible word that you hear or something. Okay. That then based upon the experiment shows up in your dream. Well, it makes sense because sometimes have you ever fallen asleep, like watching TV or something, and then you'll hear something in your dream. Like today I was taking a nap and you guys were all talking out in the kitchen and I kept going in and out of dreams of things you guys were talking about because, you know, your subconscious is still listening in a way while you're asleep. Just normally it's quiet while we're sleeping. That's really interesting. Isn't it? it? You would think that it would be something you'd wear on your head. It's interesting that it's a glove. Mm Mm-hmm along with it. It's a pretty sleek glove too. Yeah. So is. how does that work with the recording and the words and stuff like that on, through yeah. a glove? It's sensors though. So the glove, I think, hang on, I need to look this <laughs> up. All right. I found what the Dormio actually does in layman's terms. Cause this is MIT we're talking about. So when the user wears the device, it collects biosignals, which tracks the transitions in sleep stages. And in our new device, those signals come from the hand where we can gather data on loss of muscle tone, heart rate changes, and changes in skin conductance. 
Mm. And when those biosignals appear to signal the end of a transitional state, audio from the social robot is triggered. And that person is knocked just a little bit back into wakefulness, but not into full wakefulness. And we use this audio cue as an inception protocol, doing this slight wake up with words like fork or rabbit and have found in the subjects we tested, those words reliably entered the hypnagogic dreams as dream content. So it's essentially regulating your sleep stages and puts you back in the right stage in order for Mm -hmm. them to send those signals to your brain. So they are sending audio that just made it sound like they're saying actual audio words to you. And the glove is just to detect when to say them. Yeah. So, so yes. So there's a social robot that is, I believe audibly saying the words like fork or right. They're the mm-hmm. short words that seem to work in so order you are to hearing them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's an okay. audible thing, but they're putting the glove is regulating your sleep stages to find out and when to say it. Exactly. They right. put you in that perfect place where you can have mm-hmm. essentially have a lucid dream where this thing actually appears in the reality of the dream. That's if that makes fascinating. sense. Fascinating. I've always it's wanted crazy. to lucid dream and didn't know if I could actually do it. Yeah. But this can make it easy and make it something for everyone. It just freely hack your dreams. Mm-hmm. And if they figure out how to go beyond just like the simple words, because clearly it's like fork, rabbit, tiger, mm-hmm. very short, you know, one or two syllable words that's working right now. Imagine if eventually we're able to make it anything like put me like if you could have a robot or somebody do an audible cue mm-hmm. for, I don't know, skydiving. Yeah. Or 2004 Olympics or something like that. Exactly. And that would, you know, register with your subconscious and just appear in, mm-hmm. in this re- very real way in your dreams. So yeah, that's a really cool device. That is. I really want to hear more about that. On the flip side, though, it makes me concerned just because, you know, with any type of new technology, it's like, are we supposed to have that type of thing happening? If you're a spiritual person and you think in any way that dreams mean something to you or have like a deeper meaning, which I personally do because my dreams always tell me things and I have a lot of repeating dreams and I think that you have that type of thing for a reason and it's your subconscious maybe trying to tell you something. So are we supposed to mess with that, you know? The whole idea of biohacking at all in general, like changing what is already natural and just doing it for what reason too? Like mm-hmm. what's the purpose sure. of this device? To Is me, it to me, it sounds a lot like virtual reality, right? Yeah. Cause you can control it. Mm-hmm. Um, and eventually, like you said, once it develops, you'll be able to put a full on story or a full on plot or like Janelle said, skydiving. Yeah. Um, and then you'll be able to live in that in your own desires. A dream world. So yeah, it's, it's interesting in that sense. It's kind of a double edged sword because you could just live Mm-hmm. in your dreams instead of having to live in actual reality. Like right? spend like 50% of your life asleep and yep. want to nap all the time just to go back into your reality. That's so your crazy reality. I don't know. It's a slippery slope. Like with any of these new technologies that are coming out, it's really cool, but it definitely makes me a bit nervous to see how far we could take that. And is that going to be good for humanity? Mm-hmm. But let us know your thoughts on that and if you would want to control your dreams. Yeah. What what about you two? Would you want to control that? I mean, you kind of already answered that. Yeah. I mean, maybe every so often or like a one-off time to experience it, but I don't know if I would want to do that every night or invest in it. I'm sure it's expensive. And if you, you know, if you invest in something, you probably are going to want to use it a lot. So 
I don't know. I don't know if I'd buy something like that. Sure. Plus, couldn't you get like addicted to it? Yeah. Especially people who have a lot of bad dreams. Like me personally, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't dream, but I know that's people say that's not a thing, but I don't remember my dreams. Like I would say 95% of the time. And then the off chance that I do remember my dream, it is almost always a bad dream. Mm-hmm. Like all, pretty much always. It's like something uncomfortable, something not good. I wake up like, uh, or I'm like, Oh, thank God that didn't happen. Mm-hmm. So I would use it as like, I would like to dream something pleasant for once. That would be nice. Yeah, so experience a good dream. Yeah, yeah. But then I could see how it'd be kind of addicting. Yes. Especially if your uh, real life is not great or if you're not happy mm. in it or if you're really depressed or whatever it is, yeah. I could see how it be it could become really hard to not want to be in that world that you can control. Like a lot, like you were saying, John, it's a lot like VR. Mm-hmm. It's just like that escaping reality type of thing. But kind might, of entering a different world. Yeah. And it might be kind of a useful tool, though, for people that experience dreams related to trauma that they've had or like serious nightmares from PTSD. Mm-hmm. It could help kind of control some of that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, definitely can see the positives and negatives. Or it'd be cool if you could use it, like turn on a setting where it kind of monitors what you're dreaming of. And if you're dreaming of a specific thing, like you start mm-hmm. dreaming of something really scary, it can like alter Whoop, never mind we're gonna mm. dream about fiji instead <laughs> but a lot of people say that you have scary dreams for a reason mm-hmm. and that there's a deeper meaning that you need Absolutely. to address and yeah. is it a way that our subconscious or spiritual side communicates with us i don't know maybe yeah well, they the, say dreams are repressed wishes right that's what freud said yeah so, i mean there's different theories no one really knows that's the thing it's like there's but no explanation. I, but I think you dream. also make a really good point. It could be used as a tool um, for PTSD, mm-hmm. especially, which yeah. I think ties in directly to the topics mm-hmm. you know we're going to discuss today. So mm-hmm. it's really interesting. Mm-hmm. It's true. It could be beneficial in that sense. But also, you got to remember that you can reach lucid dreaming states naturally. Yes. You and, can. you know, I, w- I worry about technology in the sense that as a species, are we going to get weak and forget about who we are if? we can hack everything and technology can solve all of our problems. And, you know, all of a sudden we can, everything's controlled by the technology around us and we forget who we are as humans. And I I worry deeply about humans losing that spiritual side Mm -hmm. of things and completely falling down the technology rabbit hole where technology becomes our God essentially. Cause that's where we're headed. I mean, hacking our brains and, Mm -hmm. you know, Elon Musk is working on Neuralink, which is, downloading your brain and thoughts and memories to a computer like Mm -hmm. what's the future going to be like in a world where technology allows us to completely change the natural reality and state of living Mm -hmm. for all of us and so easily and like you said i mean I, i think dreams are definitely have some meaning to them and they're i mean for all we know we could be in a parallel universe yeah. experiencing some other life that we have i feel like that oftentimes when i wake up that i just woke up from some other <laughs> universe where i had a totally different plot line going on and now i'm back in this one or i'm like holy shit someone pinched me like that felt so real mm-hmm. and yet it wasn't mm-hmm. or to the point where technology takes over and yeah. then is controlling your dreams mm-hmm. right and then you right. feel like you have no freedom. Right. Yeah, exactly. I know. Yeah. And then starts reprogramming your brain while you sleep yep. and then you become a slave to it anyways. And that's it. <laughs> <laughs> Got way off with that one, but it's a really interesting concept. It so is. definitely let us know what you guys think about that. But the next little uh, 
But the next story I wanted to bring up is something that's been happening for the last couple of weeks, and that is wildfires are raging around Chernobyl. And that is not good because there's still mm-hmm. a lot of radioactive uh, debris and, and different things going on there that these fires are getting awfully close to, which could spell for a much bigger disaster to happen. And they've been battling these fires for a while now. Like they put them out and then they start up again because of weather and everything. And this is all due to the, you know, 1986 nuclear disaster that happened there, which we should do a whole episode on that. We definitely it's a need to do that. Yeah. Really interesting. Very upsetting, but yeah. interesting. Yeah. Very upsetting. But as a result of these fires, the air quality in this area has gotten really, really bad. In fact, in Kiev, uh, just this past week or so, the city's air quality jumped to 393 on the air quality index, wow. which is considered the most or the worst rating on the index because it's literally dropping radioactive ash from oh these fires. Gosh. Crazy. It's terrifying. And the craziest thing about this is that these wildfires are likely being caused by arson. Oh my gosh. Are you kidding me? No, they That's are. Terrible. They actually arrested somebody in connection to the fires. And they think that there may be like a cult like group called the stalkers that are like keep starting the fires and they're upset because the government has shut down tourism at Chernobyl, which I guess that's how they make their money. And they're really upset about that. And I guess the way that they're getting back at them is by causing a huge disaster to potentially happen, possibly killing themselves in the process. Yeah. Or just spreading around radioactive, you know, materials in the air and, all over the place and you know there's still the reactor there and stuff that's left over that they built a shield around and you know if these fires got close enough to that they could oh my gosh really cause some damage i think how long has it been burning now a few weeks now and they've been on and off so weeks yeah so they've been battling these for a while yeah since april 4th i think is when it started so it's been like two weeks that they've been going on so as soon as like firefighters get it contained it seems like they pop back up so definitely uh scary situation out there in the Ukraine. But the next little bit of news we wanted to talk about is a recent deep sea expedition uncovered 30 new species or more like aliens, honestly, aliens of the sea and also potentially the longest known animal ever recorded has been found. So this deep sea expedition, which was conducted by Australian scientists and a bunch of them at that over the over the course of 20 dives in 180 hours, they explored the Ningaloo canyons in the Indian ocean where the depths are up to 15,000 feet. Wow. It's like a fucking mountain. Really deep. Yeah. That's mind blowing to think about. I can't imagine the pressure down there. Well, they used a robot, so we're good. Oh yeah. Yeah. But But still still, 15,000 feet down. How do those little tiny animals live in that much pressure in the deep, deep, dark, no sunlight, freezing cold. It's just amazing that that's their perfect condition for them. They're made for it. I know they love it. Do you think they could survive in a shallow area or like outside of the ocean in a tank? No, because they're used to different conditions, right? Right. I think, well, with evolution and stuff, I think that they've adjusted to living Mm -hmm. that deep in the ocean Mm -hmm. and the pressure around it. I mean, when you look at some of these creatures, they all have soft bodies or soft shells to them. It seems like, Mm. or they're just like straight up jelly or some weird, substance or consistency that allows them to sort of morph around in it's really like space i mean the deep sea is literally Mm -hmm. like being in outer space the pressure and everything it's a totally different environment where Mm -hmm. 
something normal, a normal animal would go down there and literally explode. Just like yeah. if you go into space without yeah. a suit or something, you're going to instantly suffocate or freeze or whatever. And so it's the same kind of situation. They've just evolved over millions of years to, to live down there, but they look crazy creepy. Some of them look like ugh, spiders. That's the thing with the sea creatures is a lot of them look like bugs. And I just don't like it. <laughs> mm-hmm. They do, but they're really cool to look at. Yeah. That one's very pretty. They're all, they look like little aliens. Like Mm -hmm. they don't look like anything that's in the normal sea area. The normal sea. (laughs) The normal sea. The The normal sea. The normal sea. (laughs) Their structure and make though explains the whole pressure. Um, You know, they're all, it's all like, like you said, soft and gooey. It's kind of like weird bugs. They don't Um, have much of a skeleton to them. Look at that shit. Imagine that's you. You're that's your life. You're living way down there. Do you guys ever wonder about like what's the biggest deep sea creature that's oh, down constantly. there? Constantly. Yep. What really is down there? Like, is there some? Is there a megalodon? There might. Be. Well, this is what fourteen thousand feet, you know, below mm-hmm. the surface. Mm-hmm. And I mean, think about our fourteeners here in Colorado. We have quite a few of them, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're not seeing many animals or creatures up there running around and living and stuff like that. And this is only at 14,000 feet in the ocean, which is only a fraction of the depth of the ocean. Mm -hmm. And it's a whole different level of pressure. So I think about it all the time. It's a whole Mm -hmm. different world. Like we're living this crazy world up here on land and think about what's actually down there. And we've yet to discover most of it. Mm -hmm. So Definitely. And it's like when these types of things come out, it's always interesting to remember that there are so many things we haven't discovered and is still left for us to find on Mm. our own planet Mm -hmm. or even uh, intelligent life. Mm -hmm. I mean, for all we know, there could be, we know that dolphins are super intelligent. Like, could there be some deep sea creature that's got the intelligence of a dolphin that we just haven't discovered yet? Cause they know how to avoid Mm -hmm. foreign Mm -hmm. objects like submarines and robots. I was going to say, are (laughs) mermaids real? Mm -hmm. They (laughs) might be. You never know. Aquatic ape theory, baby. Mm -hmm. Look it up. It's really interesting. I don't think they could survive in that pressure, though. <laughs> I'm just <laughs> You never know, though. You adapt. Yeah, that's true. You just adapt. like the creatures down there. Imagine what you would look like living down there. I bet you those mermaids are not <laughs> dusty, crusty, <laughs> crusty, dusty. All right, let's go ahead and get into the war on drugs. We've got a lot of cover there, a lot of really interesting stuff. But before we do, we want to thank our sponsors for today. All right, let's go ahead and get into the war on drugs and why these mind-altering substances that have been used by humans since literally the beginning of time have now mostly become illegal and are slowly start some of them are starting to be legal again but why have they been illegal for so long when ancient cultures have been using many of these substances since up to 10,000 years ago even but before we're going to do that, we need to cut the cake. Oh, yes. We need to cut our cake. The birthday cake. We have prepared a cake. I'm going to come down there and do the <laughs> honors. Give you the first bite. <laughs> come on down, Janet. <laughs> I feel like I'm at Benny Hanna ready to serve you. Guys. Yeah, it does feel like Benny Hanna. All right, so we're getting served cake by Janelle right now to oh, celebrate. Yeah. Kendall's birthday. 27. Everybody, let's say one good memory that we remember about Kendall. Okay, no. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Because no one gives a shit. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get a review. One star. Don't give a shit about the host's birthday. All right, let's go. <laughs> Why are we celebrating on the podcast? <laughs> there will be someone that says that. 
cutting cake. I thought this was a conspiracy show. <laughs> <laughs> Yay! Happy birthday! It's lit. So now we get to bang around forks on plates while we talk. Yep. Great idea. One year closer to the grave. Congrats. Oh my gosh, stop. What the fuck did you just say? Your grave? Yeah. That's my husband. That's truly what we're celebrating is the return to the universe. Mm, Okay. Every birthday, we're one step closer to rejoining the energy that dances all around us. All right. All the time. Filled with love and peace. Wow, Josh. Thank you for that. I might shed a tear a little bit here. So for those listening, we're enjoying a little bit of birthday cake while we record this episode. So if you do hear a little bit of munching and more <laughs> mouth sounds than yeah, usual. It's all good. It's a party in here today. Please know. It's going to piss someone off, though. It of course is. it's going to piss someone off. But you know what? It is a 420 birthday celebration. Mm-hmm. And what do you do on your freaking birthday? You eat a f- piece of cake. So You know what? We could all use a laugh and a little fun. Seriously, and some times. cake. And if anyone else out there has cake... Get some cake. Get some fucking cake. Hell yeah. (laughs) Cake and cannabis for this episode. There you go. That's all you need. Let's dive in, guys. Let's do it. So let's talk a little bit about mind-altering substances and their history that we know of. Now, we know that, like, cannabis has been used going back to, like, the Chinese dynasties. I Mm -hmm. think China was originally one of the earliest countries that used cannabis. But obviously, cannabis can be found all around the world. And has been enjoyed by many cultures for thousands and thousands of years. Not only that, like African tribes really like using the ibogai, is I think how you say it, or iboga plant. Yeah, I think it's iboga. It's a psychoactive uh, psychedelic plant that's got other medicinal properties as well. For many, many, many years, South American cultures obviously been using ayahuasca, which is a brew that contains DMT. And they've been using that. Shaman have been using that for beginning of time. Mm-hmm. The bottom line is, is that ancient cultures of all civilizations, including Native Americans, have been using these mind-altering substances. Usually, most of the time, they're natural. I mean, they're plants that they find. They just found. Mm-hmm. It's not like anybody gave them the guidebook to like what drugs or mind-altering substances are out there in nature. It's something that they came across over a long period of time and learned about and used and obviously found some sort of benefit to them obviously over thousands of years they figured out all of the medicinal benefits that these natural mind-altering substances have and really learned about their spiritual sides and effects to them as well and why we often find them in like many of their ancient texts and just passed along by shaman and spiritual leaders which is interesting and there's actually archaeological evidence which shows that humans were taking opium and magic mushrooms as far back as 10,000 years ago. So actual archaeological evidence, which proves this. Mm-hmm. And when, yeah, that just reaffirms everything we just talked about. But some scholars even believe that a few notable Greeks like Pythagoras couldn't have come up with their genius theories and philosophies or like Plato for that matter, without some form of drug use. And in, in that sense of the word, like I hate saying the word drug when we're, especially mm-hmm. when we're talking about, natural mind altering substances has such a negative connotation. Yeah. Like it's just been put in that box. That's just like so negative. Mm -hmm. Like the general public thinks of drugs and automatically assumes bad. Exactly. So I hate putting that term to it, but it is interesting to think how did 
especially if you dig, especially if you dive deep into this and you really think about like, well, where did these scholars and philosophers get these ideas from? Was it just a sober mind that just out of the blue, it just came to them or did they use some type of mind altering substance to help them reach out and find this knowledge and information? What do you guys think? I think that's completely possible, especially thinking about Homer, because some of those, what he was writing about was pretty interesting and creative. And I'm not saying that he definitely was, because I don't want to be like, oh, the only way he was that creative is if he was high. But I don't know. It does make you think, you know, his mind was so much further beyond his peers at the time that did they have some kind of access to that? I feel like they had to have something because I'm like, where does this knowledge just come from? It seems extremely advanced to be thinking like this and thinking about the world in such a view, especially if you think about human evolution and just how our brains have evolved that like that, you know, thousands of years ago that their brain would have been either. I mean, or they were just more advanced than us at that point mentally and more in touch spiritually. I don't know. It's, it's really hard to say because we like to think of ourselves now as like, oh, we're so woke. We're so you know, smart and we know so many things more mm-hmm. than they knew. But because at the same time, yeah. where's our philosophers at? Right. <laughs> like mm-hmm. we don't have that many these days. Like back mm-hmm. then there was all these philosophers some everywhere. Twitter accounts would beg to differ. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, some Twitter <laughs> accounts think they're fucking Plato or something, but <laughs> they're not. I mean people people aren't thinking about the world the same way because we do have more information. So I guess it was probably easier to be a philosopher back then to just think about what the world is and how it all works. And so maybe, I don't know, maybe science has helped us kind of advance past that point. Sorry, I'm getting way sidetracked here, but another civilization that we've talked a lot about on this show is the ancient Egyptians and really thinking about where did their knowledge come from? And I mean, we've talked about like the Anunnaki creation story and the Sumerians and all that. And obviously information was passed along there, but looking through the number of different texts that the Egyptians had in the hieroglyphs, which tell us stories about what life was like and also about prominent plant use for this very reason. Like in the Bible, have you ever heard the story of like the burning bush and stuff mm-hmm. and, yeah, and maybe. that whole story? Maybe he was burning some bush. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's possible. Well, you got to think that's not like, my joke. That's Jim Gaffigan's joke. It makes you wonder, like, did Jesus know about cannabis and stuff? Like probably did. Maybe. I mean, the stories in the Bible are pretty out there, you know? Yeah. I mean, well, not only that, but just, you know, they were all living around these same times. And obviously they probably would have, you know, when you went into Egypt, they probably, you know, told you about what medicines and plants that Mm -hmm. they're utilizing and for their rituals and ceremonies. I mean, they were obviously burning things and using plants to potentially even open their mind or allow them to, you know, help them transition into the afterlife and everything else. I mean, they're doing all kinds of stuff. So even, even with the creation of religion, I think you can yeah. look at it and say they could be using other substances to even open their minds or alter their minds to even, you know, think of that or come across that. I think, you know, could use it as a discovery mechanism to, um, to religion. So kind of with the creation of religion and um, those sort of ideas, you know, it's the same with science. You kind of think, about certain thoughts and stories with the Bible, even that are so far out there. How did that even, you know, did that actually happen or is it, you know, I don't know. Is it supposed to represent something? Yeah, exactly. Or someone had an experience and then recorded it in some way. Right. 
Because, I mean, shit. Because some of those stories are similar. You know, some of those Bible stories are similar to something you could experience in a trip, let's say, you know, mm-hmm. with LSD or something mm-hmm. like that, where you think you're inside of a whale or, you know. Absolutely. There's a lot of examples throughout the Bible and other religious texts as well. I mean, mm-hmm. You can go into Hinduism, Buddhism, you know, any of the major religions, and you can find trends like that. So clearly these substances were a part of ancient cultures. Like, I don't think there's any denying that mm-hmm. they were using these for thousands and thousands of years up and up into the point where modern civilization, where modern civilization sort of started. And, you know, we started to have the formations of countries and governments and things like that things. It's that point in history and just civilization in general, the shift I find so interesting between like ancient civilizations into like modern age civilizations or you get into, you know, the 1600s, the 1700s mm-hmm. and you start, you know, that's kind of where our, the story of our world, the new world sort of starts. Mm-hmm. You know, I say Society that in a conspiracy really. sense because yeah. after, you know, Rome conquered all these empires and all these individual countries had their own empires and stuff mm-hmm. and that world sort of fell apart. Then you saw the, these like superpowers emerge out of nowhere and, sort of form and create the planet as we know now. And that's when things and views about these substances really started to change. It seems like, so to just give you an idea of like what I'm talking about in 1799, Napoleon prohibited the use of cannabis after his troops discovered it during their conquest of Egypt and brought it back home with them. And he was worried because I'm sure he saw once they started consuming the cannabis which is interesting I'm like well what did they do they must have saw egyptians smoking it or something like mm-hmm. they weren't just like eating the leaves or no. something like that <laughs> yeah, like they were like that. they were clearly smoking it if if that's what the egyptians were using it so they saw that and then tried doing it themselves and then napoleon the leader in charge saw how they started acting and you know maybe they weren't kind of falling in line like mm-hmm. he wanted and so he's prohibited mm-hmm. it and he was the very first one to throw somebody in jail for cannabis use. Dude, what a wet blanket he was. <laughs> wet blanket. That's just crazy that it happened that long ago. I can't believe that this has been going on since the mm-hmm. 1700s. I know. It's really been a war, like the longest war to ever exist. Yeah, it really. It's a war is. on drugs. Mm-hmm. It's incredible. Mm-hmm. As soon as the ancient cultures fell, our world changed and, uh, and a few fucking men came forward and said, you know what? I want to dominate the planet and I'm going to do whatever I have to do to do in order to take it over. And that's exactly what they did. And we haven't been in that type of reality for even that long. When you think about how long the ancient civilizations were around, you know, years and years of using this stuff up until, you know, a couple hundred years ago. Right. The time is much larger where these substances were being used and a part of the culture and then, in all of their artwork and ceremonies and religion, it was like they were so much more connected with the earth and with the the plant medicine that is Mm -hmm. there than we are now, obviously. But I think once they figured out that what that allowed people to do and what they saw in these ancient cultures is something that they couldn't control and they didn't like that Mm -hmm. because, you know, Egypt had pharaohs and everything and Kings or whatever, but it's, it was a very different structure than like the monarchy Mm -hmm. in Europe and stuff. The way that it operated and stuff was very, very different. It became a more control based society where there's a dominant individual that's the leader and in charge and makes the rules for everybody else. And everybody else kind of has to do their bidding versus 
in Egypt and these other cultures, everybody, everybody kind of had their place in society. And obviously there was a hierarchy and things like that, but it seems like people were just valued more and they understood that different people brought different things to the table. Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. you got to think too, like money wasn't really set up the way that it is now. And there wasn't like debt probably in the same way that there is now. So it was very different. Society was completely different. And all that was just squashed and conquered. Like the conquest of Egypt, the conquest of all these places that have been around for thousands of years that we lost so much of their knowledge and history. So in the 1800s, the British empire, they were conquering the world. And when they got to India, they saw that the Indians were cultivating cannabis and as soon as they saw this and you know probably already knew what was going on they halted it completely Mm -hmm. because they said it made you go insane the classic so the classic excuse Mm -hmm. it's the classic excuse of making you go insane which i don't understand because so many other substances could be argued that way more than cannabis that's like the least one to make you go insane i feel like in my opinion So the reason why I said conspiracy at the beginning of this and that this is the war on drugs conspiracy is not only because we saw the war on drugs clearly started way, way, way hundreds of years ago. We're not just talking, you know, the 1970s when we decided to call it this war on drugs. The war on drugs has been happening for a very, very long time since modern civilization and these countries came about. But it's very interesting that all of a sudden these substances and cannabis especially are illegal across the world like all at once in the Mm -hmm. beginning of the 1900s. And when you look at the, yeah, like just a sweeping, no more. It was like in the 1930s ish in America. Yeah. 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 Well, it was kind of happening all around the world. It started state by state. So it was like 1911. It was Massachusetts. And then like South Africa followed, then Jamaica followed, then Canada, Britain, New Zealand in 1913. So Massachusetts was the only state that, outlawed it at first yeah that's where it began yeah in 1911 interesting so it's interesting though when you look at the time frames and the years and you start to realize and remember the five families and going into the 13 families and the whole new world order conspiracy when you look into that you start to connect some dots here and it starts making sense that well these countries and these families they really started getting rooted in these countries around the 1800s, 1900s time period. And that's right around where this total shift in civilization happened. And it became about controlling the population and Mm -hmm. these substances were made illegal. If you guys look at the dates that Josh has mentioned up to this point, and now him mentioning the connection with the five families that rule, um, you, you would notice a common denominator and that's war. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's a topic you guys have covered in past podcasts with those five families. You know, war creates money. Right? Absolutely. Um, so I think that there's a huge connection there if you follow that and we'll continue to follow that into, you know, into the late 1970s and stuff like that. So definitely constant war yep. is going on. And the people that are making the most money are these families mm-hmm. that rule the world. We're talking about the Morgan specifically, the Rothschilds. DuPont family, the Bushes, the Bushes, and then the um, fuck, what's the last? Oh, Rockefellers. Was, yes, the Rockefellers, very mm. important one. So people that control the banks, the various industries, oil, mm. you know. So by the 1920s, many states in the United States were promoting marijuana as being a type of poison. The negative connotation was just getting pushed out there, and most states prohibited the substance by 1933. So we're not even through World War II. 
and marijuana is completely cannabis is completely illegal. That's unbelievable. Unbelievable. It really is. And it's one of those substances that's already been shown to help with PTSD and people coming back from war. So you already had people and veterans coming back from world war one and these substances were illegal and you know, they were forced to go on opioids and big pharma was making their money and everything. So exactly what they want. Exactly. And then that same year in 1933, a propaganda film came out. Listen to this reefer madness. So ridiculous. This is some crazy shit. <laughs> this film was debuted and it depicts marijuana users as basically insane <laughs> after using the substance, just acting wild and crazy and completely unrealistic. But the film was taken quite seriously because you got to think there's not that same accent. I mean, I can't even imagine a world without the internet. It's kind of crazy to think what it would be like to go get your newspaper at the corner and like yeah, see what's going on in the world. Like that's so we're so used to popping on our iPhone in the morning and what's trending on Twitter. And mm-hmm. you know, we know what's going on around the world in seconds but immediately. Yeah. Back then, you know, they believed everything that was given to them. I mean, they had no mm-hmm. reason not to, they just were like, Oh, that's what's happening. Yeah, so this is what it is. Yeah. So they played this clip and should we watch this? I think. Yes, definitely. Yes. Okay. I Let's love these it. things. There's so many good old ads too. These high school boys and girls are having a hop at the local soda fountain. Innocently, they dance. Innocent of a new and deadly menace lurking behind closed doors. Marijuana, the burning weed with its roots in hell. In this film, you will see the ease with which this vicious plant can be grown in your neighbor's yard rolled into harmless-looking cigarettes, hidden in an innocent shoe or watch case. In this startling film, you will see dopesters lure children to destruction. We're going over to Joe's place. Why don't you come along? We have a date to play a set of doubles. Oh, you can play anytime. Come on, we'll have some laughs. Can I go along with you? Sure. Hey, I'll see you at dinner, sis. If you want a good smoke, try one of these. You will meet Bill, who once took pride in his strong will, as he takes the first step toward enslavement. Of course, if you're afraid. Smoking the soul-destroying reefer, they find a moment's pleasure, but at a terrible price. Debauchery, violence, murder, suicide. the ultimate end of the marijuana addict. Hopeless insanity. They totally look like they're cracked out. Yeah, yeah I was about do. to say, this looks like a crack thing. <laughs> like a don't do crack kids commercial. <laughs> yeah, it's like bath salts level. Seriously. Yeah. I want whatever weed they're smoking, man. Yeah, honestly, they looked like they were having a lit time. That's some that's some good shit. <laughs> <laughs> there are so many commercials like that too. But like that was that was serious. old ads. Oh yeah, they're just straight Real up things. lying. But it was though. so yeah. ridiculous too. Like, mm-hmm. did you you know that you can hide it in your shoe? You could do that with anything. <laughs> What's the point? You know, it, and I like how he was like one of the lines was like, and they roll it up into what looks like harmless cigarettes. <laughs> oh, I know. Such a good point. 
to what looks like harmless. It's just a harmless cigarette. Oh, okay. Wait, it's a marijuana cigarette. <laughs> oh, it's poison. It's poison. Wow. God, they had people brainwashed on this shit. Now, why would they want to brainwash people about marijuana? Right. Why? Mm. What's the purpose? Well, I'll tell you why. Because of money, greed, and control, and just being able yep. to do whatever you want with people. Mm-hmm. And, and, not, mm-hmm. and not to have people open-minded and thinking and questioning, mm-hmm. questioning their government, questioning their control, you know? Exactly. Marijuana makes you do that, period. It just makes you think. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah, it makes you think. That is like the truest statement that I think everyone can vouch for that. And that's mm-hmm. what's so interesting because for so long society has portrayed it as it makes you not think and just stupid and like, like yeah. that's so not what it does whatsoever. Yeah. Like we got a comment like that last week that was saying, um, disagreeing with one of our opinions and being like, you guys need to stop smoking weed because you believe in this. And I was like, we don't believe in this because we smoke weed. The marijuana has given us the ability to think more deeply about things and critically about things and question things and has opened our mind to all new different ideas. But we don't only think that way while we're right under the influence, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. it just kind of like an effect of triggers it. it. Yeah. It doesn't create the thoughts for you. Yeah. It just, it unlocks it. It doesn't what, make you dumb. I hate when people are like, stop smoking weed. because You're just lazy and dumb. Like, um, actually no. For instance, John is getting his CPA right now and he just works finishes. with a cannabis company. And he just finished his master's. And he just got his You're master's. You're getting your master's. Yeah. Like, you guys a run degree. a great business. What the hell? We both have degrees. It's all about individual mindset. Yeah. When you're using any substance like that. Absolutely. Like, it's how you create it and how you make it. Like, mm-hmm. what you make of it. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, if you have the mindset of being chill and you want to hang out and relax, then mm-hmm. you can probably do that, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but no, it doesn't. It doesn't. I wouldn't say it doesn't demotivate anybody that's all the mindset like if you're a driven person it's not going to pull you off no that path. And sometimes it can motivate you actually Correct. it can have yep. a completely different effect so it depends on the strain it just yep and there's you know. e- there's even been you know to go on that and not you know jump off what we're talking about too much there's you know there's been studies that show it's effective as pre-workouts mm-hmm. and you know for studying and mm-hmm. retention memory retention believe it or not so mm-hmm. yeah yep Well, I think a lot of times the opinions that are going against what you guys are saying are from people that A, haven't tried it all ever, or B, somebody that has maybe tried it once or twice or a handful of times even, Mm -hmm. and maybe just for whatever reason, they didn't have a good experience. And Mm -hmm. whether that was the cannabis's problem or it was the setting or set or where you were, who you're with, Mm -hmm. uh, people don't take those those things into consideration either that when you do any sort of substance at all, it's, you know, the setting that you're in and who you're with your mindset is so important yeah. and where, yeah, where your mind's at is key. So if those elements aren't, don't all fall in line, obviously you set yourself up for, you know, a potential time where you're not going to, you know, enjoy it as much as you would if you were in a better place or it's just like alcohol though. You can have a bad experience exactly. with it, you know, yep. a bad night out or whatever. Exactly. Set setting comes into play with that as well. So of course there was absolutely no research to back up making this huge ban on a critical substance that can be used for so many different things. And then not only marijuana, but hemp 
in general. Yeah. And don't even get me started on hemp. Seriously, we have a whole episode on it if you are curious and want to know more. But hemp can be used for so many different things. It could really help our environment. It could help with so many things. It's just endless. So losing that as well, like what was the reason? You'd think there would be some good reason or research backing up why they decided to make that huge ban. Nope. Yeah. Not at all. Absolutely nothing. Mm -hmm. That's what's crazy is like you hear all of that and you're like, oh, they must have some good scientific research Mm -hmm. behind for, I mean, obviously there's not, they're, you know, straight from hell. Really? Yeah. This plant is straight from hell. Really? Okay. Sure. But when talking about this reefer madness clip, so this whole clip came about because of an individual named William Randolph Hearst who is the creator of the largest newspaper chain and media communications company, Hearst Communications. So big media company at the time. They partnered with an individual named Harry Anslinger, who was the first drug czar, essentially, or the first head of the what is now called the DEA. And those two got together and created this negative clip or video about marijuana and put it out to the public. Does that seem fishy at all? The DEA and a media company Mm -hmm. came together and because this was that time period, Mm -hmm. they could put that on TV and everybody's like, whoa, holy, you know, everybody's brains are being washed into thinking that this is the reality of, of this plant. I mean, it was early on in the days of TV and media that, you know, government agencies started getting involved with that and using it as a tool to help get their message out there. And that would continue, that continues to this day. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, it's the older generations, too, that were constantly fed that. Yep. So they're the generations that continue to think that and believe that and have passed that along to the younger generations, like our generation, younger right. generations. Right. So that, that's why there's still that big misconception out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this guy's opinions about this plant are not based in reality whatsoever. And clearly the reasons and motivation for doing this were completely wrong. Like I said, the message first and foremost was weed is evil mm-hmm. and basically you should fear it mm-hmm. you never you know Dangerous. for these reasons it's a it's poison but also this individual's reasons were that he was racist and to him only latinos and black people were smoking marijuana and made them forget their place in society these are words from him wow that's that's alarming so he's I, an asshole here's oh, some other yeah. quotes he had said marijuana is the most violence-causing drug in the history of mankind. That's just unbelievable. Like, that is such a bold claim to make. How can you honestly say that with no, nothing to back it up? No, absolutely. Nothing to back it up except for your disgusting racist opinions. Yep. That's it. And then this is how, this is like what all started it. Okay. Yeah, Yeah, that's how a lot of our laws in the early days were set up by racist idiots with no evidence or proof. But those still exist today. Those systems course, and laws exactly. put in place are mm-hmm. still in order. Of course. And have been and really took a in, you know, Nixon and as we'll talk about, really pushed that mm-hmm. into super yep, exactly. charge mode. But yeah, this is where it started. I mean, he said that there are hundred thousand total marijuana smokers in the US, which like, how did he know that number? Where'd he pull that out of? But he said most are Negroes, Hispanics, Filipinos, and entertainers. Their satanic music, jazz, and swing result from their marijuana usage. Gosh. Can you imagine thinking like this? It's like, so they're enjoying life more. 
Yes, right? That's what you're just describing. dancing and having a good time, but that's not what you want because it's a minority community, yeah. right? Exactly. Yeah, what? Like describing fun. This Anslinger guy also said, you smoke a joint and you're likely to kill your brother. Is that from <laughs> first-hand experience? <laughs> that is what the hell. I can't believe they were really making points like that. This is the head of the DEA where people are getting their drug info from. That is so concerning. That is really that's concerning. That's just really concerning that they're making this. The DEA is making the claims like so. And that's why I'm like, okay, so the claims that they're making now, how do we know that any of this is correct? Which it's still bullshit today. Is most of it's bullshit, yeah. which we'll get into. Yeah. I mean, nothing has changed. That's what's crazy mm-hmm. is that since the 1900s began, we are still living in those antiquated days of illegalization for the most invalid untrue reasons Mm -hmm. another reason why they wanted cannabis outlawed so badly is because of the traditional paper industry which everything was in paper and print back then so that industry was booming right and we were doing it by chopping down trees and you know depleting our forests and and everything in order to produce all the paper that we needed but right there in front of us we had hemp Mm -hmm. Hemp was there the whole time and we knew we could use it and make paper out of it. But yet we decided to outlaw and ban it so that guess who the DuPonts could fucking benefit from it. And all the other banking families could benefit from it as well because all that money was going into that industry and everybody was reaping the benefits from it. All these other, they don't want that to stop. So it's like, it goes beyond just like, they don't want a mind altering substance out there that might make you open your mind, but it's money. I think it's money and greed first and foremost. I mean, definitely they saw a way to essentially make as much money and profit as possible at whatever Mm -hmm. expense. And that was the way that they went versus thinking about everything and all the responsible things someone like this should think about. For those that don't know, when you compare trees and hemp together, Hemp wins every single time. Mm -hmm. So in order to create enough hemp to make it usable for paper or whatever you're going to, you can use it for construction. There's so many uses for it. Literally like everything hemp can be used for. It takes 20 weeks to farm hemp versus 20 years to create a forest. Your yield is far greater. Mm -hmm. 10 tons per acre versus 2.5 tons per acre. Wow. Four times the amount. It's crazy. It is. It can be recycled 10 times more. And it breathes four times more carbon dioxide than the forest does. And that, that's the most shocking statistic to me is like, why aren't we just planting hemp everywhere to try to save our planet mm-hmm. right now? Like all these fields are just empty. Like spray some hemp seed down there. and Because they don't want this to become even more normalized. Exactly. Because clearly the information was there. Hemp does all these things. Yes. We can use it for all. They were using it for, mm-hmm. for things up mm-hmm. until this point. But then these families came in, took over, took over the economy, the country, pretty much yep. the banking system, the Rothschilds and all the banking system and all that. That's crazy shit, too, if you haven't heard about that. But, you know, they came in and they took over and they knew that hemp was going to be a better way for everybody. But for them and for their pockets, they're like trees, paper. Mm-hmm. We can so many things we can make money off of here. Mm-hmm. And that's the way that they went. And And I think control is still a big part of it, even aside from wanting to control our minds because they just want to make us have to rely more on them. You know, when trees are more limited resources or oil or whatever it is, if they're, you know, keeping clean energy from us or hemp, it's all a way to control us and make us more reliant on them. 
Right. No, it really is. I mean, that's what they've done. They completely took all that knowledge away from us and banned it from us, made it illegal. We'll throw you in prison if you try to seek out this knowledge. Mm -hmm. And instead, you're going to take our version of events and things and how we want you to, to create civilization and you know the industrial revolution, all of that, and fossil yeah. fuels became popular, and they went that route. And God, it just makes me wonder what how different the world would be if we had gone the way that it seems like we were supposed to, and according to the the way the rest of the ancient cultures lived for thousands of years. Mm-hmm. What's also interesting too is that the head of the communications company, William Randolph Hearst, he used and leveraged his business in order to further this negative message about marijuana would often give the front page space to this negative sentiment. But it's so blatantly obvious that the legalization of marijuana was such a a racist move because when they created the Marijuana Tax Act of 1937, the way that they would spell it would be the way that Mexican immigrants use the term. And it would be an H instead of a J. Mm -hmm. And that's how they wrote it. Like, how, how fucked up is that? So after the Marijuana Tax Act was passed in 1937, it just became harder and stricter as far as the taxation laws around it but the use or possession of marijuana at this time was not criminalized yet but that's not until it was eventually repealed in 1970 and then replaced the very same year with the famous controlled substance act which officially outlawed manufacturing importation distribution possession and use of a variety of drugs including marijuana and this is pretty much the point at which the war on drugs as we know it started with the Nixon administration. Because in June 1971, President Richard Nixon declared a war on drugs and that's when he officially created the DEA mm-hmm. and the DEA combining with the pre-existing Bureau of Narcotics and Dangerous Drugs as well as other agencies all came together to form this entity that mm. has been ravaging the country since then. And at that time, he scared the public saying drug abuse was its number one enemy. And, and then, yeah, and crime and everything else that's bad happening in the world is all yep. directly, was all a direct result of the mind altering substances. Think about that in like today's mindset. I know. Like, I can't even imagine with the pandemic, and yet he was selling it back then that drugs was the number one enemy. That's so insane. crazy. Like they cracked the fuck down though with they this. They did. Oh yeah, big time. Mandatory prison sentences for possession and distribution and the fourth amendment against unlawful search and seizure was pushed to the side in favor of no knock warrants. They're doing no knock. They were going <laughs> no crazy knock. with this. They just walked right just into go people's in people's houses. Yeah. Hello, so we'd insane. like to check your house. Search and seizure. They're Can you imagine living gonna like take a that? Look. God, we really don't appreciate our freedom and rights mm-hmm. of today. Yeah. It's crazy. Like now they have to, have, you have to have a ton of evidence and surveillance and everything yeah. else to oh, yeah. build a case and then present it to a judge and the judge can say yes or no to mm-hmm. a warrant. Mm-hmm. It's this huge thing now. But back then, if they just suspected that you were doing drugs of any kind, they just show up. They just be like, I'm coming oh. in. No, knock. just open your door and walk in and be like, catch you right in the act That's probably. Insane. And knock. That's so insane. I've never insane. even heard of that. So this was also the time that Vietnam was ending, which circles in the war thing once again, right? And Mm -hmm. Vietnam was when soldiers, this is when the whole PTSD kind of Mm -hmm. came about. Am I right with that, Janelle? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, for a long time, PTSD was not really a thing. 
And then uh, it started becoming, oh, soldiers get something that's PTSD. And yeah, I mean, it came in a lot. And so I think it's interesting that, again, like you're saying, perfect timing. Yep. So they come back from war, you know, with PTSD and are looking for outlets, um, you know, to help their conditions and what they've been through. And Mm -hmm. they don't they're not allowed that, you know. Because a lot of people with PTSD can really benefit from marijuana or just CBD. Yes. You know, so having that taken away from them is just so unfair and ridiculous. Yep, exactly. But the most evil thing about this, in my opinion, is the Controlled Substances Act. And when they scheduled the drugs and in the way that they scheduled them, Mm -hmm. where they happened to fall on the scale that they made based on how addictive the actual substance is. And there's other factors, too. But. And explain what it means to be scheduled. So it's just all it is is categories for mm-hmm. from being least addictive to most addictive and dangerous for you. And schedule one being the most dangerous and addictive. And they've got yeah, marijuana in there. Okay. For example, schedule one, most dangerous, most addictive drug. And it was scheduled at this time. And then you've got schedule two below it. Less addictive and dangerous is fentanyl, morphine. <laughs> Such Adderall, a joke. hydrocodone. It's absolutely. But yet, marijuana is at the top with heroin, LSD, ecstasy, and meth. It's insane. Just what even? Like how? How did they come up with this scale? I wish I could sit down with whoever made this scale. If it was that Anslinger guy or it's, or Nixon or whoever it was, it's like not addictive in a classic sense. Like, it, of course, anything in the world can be addictive and you caffeine. can become a pen, you know, dependent on anything. Yes. Caffeine's a good example. Um, or social media even, but marijuana is no different than that. Like people can become obviously dependent on it, but if you stop using it, you're not going to like withdraw from it. No, not in a way that like heroin or some no, other type of substance. Get, like violently sick. And we were talking about it earlier. Xanax is a mm-hmm. schedule four substance that's that's so ridiculous xanax is so so addicting and very dangerous so so addicting i just cannot believe that that is a four and here we have marijuana as backwards a doctor can prescribe you xanax and give you refills for that but they cannot prescribe you marijuana or even cbd oil or Mm. thc oil or anything how does that make any sense a natural like why is it that doctors are not prescribing natural medication as well. Like why is it only prescription medication as well? Yeah, that's a good point. Why aren't they, you would think as a doctor and I know some doctors do go and they get a holistic background as well. But you in addition to that type of doctor out, but doctors work for the pharmaceutical industry, right? They have to be able to prescribe a certain amount of drugs Correct me if I'm wrong, but Sometimes. I believe that it is typically they work for that is the they they work for the drug industry to mm-hmm. some degree. Mm-hmm. They have to be able to prescribe and make money that way. And I believe that the more like in some cases, the more you're able to prescribe and treat patients, the more money you can make because that's the more work you're doing. Absolutely. Yeah. It's almost like an MLM in a way. Affiliate program or something. Yeah, an yep. affiliate program. Yeah. yeah really weird and it's interesting too have you guys ever been to the doctor and they're like 
well, we have this new medication. It's called Lunesta or, or like whatever like it is. Or there's an on the wall or something. Well, like they started yeah. trials on this. Would you like to yeah. try this? Mm-hmm. Yeah. They Ask offer your doctor it. about yeah. this. Oh, when yeah. I worked at the OBGYN office, this is a little side note, but I worked at an OBGYN office in college and they would always have reps come in for that worked for specific drugs. They would come mm-hmm. in and they would like bring you really nice catered lunches and all the doctors would meet in the room mm-hmm. and listen to their hour long spiel about why their new drug is the best for birth control or why this is the best for whatever. It was really interesting to see that it was a total, it's a total business obviously, yeah. but you kind of, I feel you think like, Oh, the medical industry is like there to like help people. Just what's best and for you. it yeah. is, but it's mm-hmm. also a business like everything Absolutely. else. Absolutely. Money controls everything. Mm-hmm. Yep. Kickbacks involved. Mm-hmm. You know, legal forms of kickbacks, mm-hmm. but yeah, I mean, yeah. Who's not going to take up an opportunity in their career to make more money? Sure. And if it's something you already have to do, it's a part of your job duties. Why not, you know, yeah. sell prescription drugs versus, hey, you know what? Have you heard of this great supplement? Or, you know, have you ever heard of ketamine? Or have you ever heard of kava or, you know, kratom yeah. or kratom? Like, yeah. have you ever heard of this? And, no, they never go there and no. offer that up. It's always a prescription pill. And, and there's, of course, not enough research being done on those things either to make them more regulated and put into the mainstream because there's just not enough resources going towards it. No. And that's why they're Schedule 1 and Schedule mm-hmm. 2 substances. They mm-hmm. don't. There's no research to back them, and they're, they don't allow research. Our federal government doesn't allow research. So they've so pinned ridiculous. marijuana up there at the very top yeah. for that reason. Mm-hmm. You know, It's the number one threat to the pharmaceutical industry. And, you know, and they, they depict it as the gateway drug, right? Which it's going to lead to everything else. Yeah. Which I think isn't a horrible, um, term to associate with it, but mm-hmm. I think the way they spin it right. is really odd. Mm-hmm. So, oh yeah. yeah. You know, it's, and I say that because it's, um, it's a gateway drug for your mind and a gateway substance. I keep saying mm-hmm. drug and that's bad. I need to get off that. Just like, by the way, don't use pot for cannabis. Use cannabis, marijuana, something like that. Yeah. Pot is very derogatory. It is, yeah. honestly. Working it in is. the industry, it is very derogatory. Because um, there's a negative connotation mm-hmm. attached to pot. You know, as we're cannabis or something, or marijuana, you know, that's mm-hmm. more, yeah. that's its actual name and mm-hmm. it's more medicinal mm-hmm. name. So... Um, no, you're exactly right though. With, uh, the gateway, the way that they have put the negative connotation on it yep. so that you assume and people who have never tried the substance, especially immediately go going to jump to other substances, right? It's going to be marijuana. Then it's going to yep. go to meth or you're going to go on to do pills mm-hmm. or you're going to want that bigger high that, yeah. you know, that's sure. what people say. I mean, that's what my parents told me is that it's going to lead to all these other things. And then when you actually try it, I mean, most of us are very pleasantly surprised to find that it's not that way at all. Mm -hmm. It's more like, wow, I never thought about my life that way. Mm -hmm. I never thought about my beliefs that way. I never thought about my My family that way. My relationships. Mm -hmm. I've never, I become more empathetic. Mm -hmm. It's a lot more of, let me look at different perspectives other than my own that fits my agenda. Mm-hmm. Like it's very mind opening. And like you said, it's um, a gateway to being able to think more for yourself, honestly, yeah. and be less judgmental, I but think. not yeah. the gateway to jump to other drugs. Looking at these schedule one drugs again, it doesn't, you know, mm-hmm. 
It does. Just, it doesn't no. make me want to jump to do meth or heroin or something <laughs> like that. It's so ridiculous. You know, it's just that. And not saying that that doesn't happen. I'm sure there's people oh, that course. start no, with marijuana. It does. Yes. But of course, that comes from a deeper issue too. You know, if it people is. are in pain yep. or have trauma in their life or issues, and they're trying to cope with a, a substance, marijuana may not do that for them, and maybe they'll go to something more. Yep. But, but it doesn't work that way for everyone. Sure. And here's the thing: is like people are going to get it no matter what, whether mm-hmm. it's legal or not. Mm-hmm. Yep. And also like alcohol, yeah, that's extremely addictive. So and I worse. think that many, many people who struggle with addiction can struggle with many being addicted to many different substances and being dependent on different things. And I think it's not fair to just say, Oh, we can't have, we can't do any research on this. We can't have any to see what, you know, benefits this could provide because it's dangerous. Well, yeah, well, so is prescription drugs that you're Mm -hmm. prescribing people after you have a hip replacement. That's how people get addicted to that. Like there, Mm -hmm. everything has a risk, you know, there's too much of anything is bad. And I, I think that people forget that we should be able to at least study it Mm -hmm. and see what, what the benefits could be. Right. And look at the little bit of research that they've been able to do that's come out. It's fucking groundbreaking. It is. And none of it's negative, Mm-mm. especially when you're talking about cannabis or you're talking about psilocybin or, you know, any of these natural substances. I mean, you're seeing that just from the little bit of research that they're doing that these these plants have profound effects on not only human consciousness, but on your body and, and every essence of your life, mentally, physically, it benef- the benefits are just boundless. And if we were able to research them the way that we research all these synthetic chemicals and, you know, different prescription drugs that they're developing every day, just a little bit, mm-hmm. imagine how many more things we would find and how many more uses we would find from these different plants and substances that we just haven't been able to because they're illegal and they're schedule one. And you'll, if you get, if you're found or arrested with a schedule one drug, that's a felony. Yep. And it just blows my mind that there are so many people locked up for this when here in Colorado, we can use it legally. You yep. know? So according to a, a 2008 study published by Harvard economist, Jeffrey a Muron, if I'm saying that correctly, the annual savings on enforcement and incarceration costs from the legalization of drugs would amount to roughly $41.3 billion. <laughs> I believe that. I believe that. Think of how many yep. people are incarcerated for that. It's just wild. And it's, it's like, wild. are we going to revisit some of that when it becomes legalized? I mean, sure. And it doesn't seem like we really are. How come on this list, the scheduled drugs list, alcohol and tobacco are nowhere to be found mm-hmm. yet? Yeah. To this day, alcohol helps kill 2.8 million people globally each year. Worldwide tobacco use causes more than 7 million deaths each year. Millions of people are dying from these substances. They seem to be highly addictive and dangerous to me, and yet they're not on the scheduled drugs list. Why? That's just... And how about this? Opioids killed 72,000 people in the U.S. in just 2018 alone. Just in the U.S., I know. And how many of those people could actually come off of opioids with the help of cannabis? There's a lot of kind of new age rehabs now that are using marijuana to help people get off of worse substance or even like heroin, Mm -hmm. you know, extremely addictive things. Yeah. And you know what else they're finding is helping with addiction? John Hopkins University 
Center for Psychedelic Research is is doing groundbreaking research on psilocybin mushrooms, which I believe 100% is going to change the game for the mental health of humanity. I really do. I really believe in this like with my entire heart and soul that this, you know, psilocybin and mushrooms that contain these, this substance have the ability to reset a depressed brain. I mean, it, it, the research that they're doing and the the actual effects that they're seeing from a single dose of psilocybin is absolutely astonishing. Mm-hmm. And this is a Schedule One drug that will land you in prison right now. It's just yep. insane. And they won't even let every you know they won't let the amount of research that could be going into this right now to find the cure for depression. Like, what if we found a cure for depression or yep. or are so many of these mental disorders and illnesses like and that doesn't necessarily mean people have to go and trip mushrooms but they can microdose in small pills or in drops exactly. the way you use cbd and to the point where you wouldn't yeah. have any psychoactive right nothing um, you know mm-hmm. any effects yeah any yeah. hallucinations or anything like that like you right. wouldn't get all visuals and different things like that you would just get the medical benefits mm-hmm. and isn't ptsd the number one mental illness that is linked to um psilocybin and its benefits i think yeah. They're atop yeah. the list yeah. of, you know, psilocybin, ketamine's yep. another one that uh, they're starting to do, use and trials with. And they're seeing really, I mean, ketamine's not in the same place as psilocybin is as far as its illegality, but it becomes very clear that they don't want us to have access to these substances which open our minds. And so, in order to deter us, they put it in Schedule One mm-hmm. so that we are thrown in prison if we are, you know, ever caught with them. Let's not forget that one of the biggest issues with the war on drugs was that a disproportionate amount of minorities were arrested for drug charges and oftentimes unfairly. And this is still going on today. I mean, in a recent survey in 2015, from the National Survey on Drug Use and Health, about 17 million whites and 4 million African-Americans reported having used an illicit drug within the last month. African-Americans and whites use drugs at similar rates, but the imprisonment rate of African-Americans for drug charges about six times more than whites. That's a, that's like a fact. And what were those two initial numbers? You said 17 to four, 17 million to 4 million. (sighs) That's insane. And then it's so lopsided the other way. Oh my God. Six times more African-Americans are imprisoned for drug charges. It's just blatant racism. Yeah. And during Richard Nixon's administration, one of its one of his aides came out and said that the war on drugs was created specifically to attack hippies and African Americans. Another interesting fact from the survey was that African Americans represent twelve point five percent of illicit drug users, but twenty nine percent of those arrested for drug offenses, and thirty three percent of those incarcerated in state facilities for drug offenses. Yeah, and the Nixon administration also did hate hippies because it was at the time where. People were really rebelling against the government and the idea of going over to Vietnam. And, you know, it was the hippies, the Woodstock people that became kind of an enemy to the government. No, you're exactly right. The hippies, along with African-Americans, were definitely like the two groups that were targeted by this war on drugs and the Nixon administration specifically. The two anti-war movements, right? Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah, that's a great point. As the war on drugs is really starting to take off, from 1972 to 1977, actually, 11 states would ultimately decriminalize marijuana possession, and President Jimmy Carter even spoke openly about decriminalizing it during his presidential campaign. So President Carter really started to try to shift everything back the right way. But because of the shift that was happening, 
people were starting to be more conservative about these substances and they weren't so open to them as we're exiting the eighties, right? Like that whole hippie generation is starting to move on and things are really shifting and the way the world is. And as we enter the Bush era, you know, the government's much more conservative. So things are really starting to, you know, go into full swing here with the war on drugs. And even before getting to Bush though, Ronald Reagan, who was president in 1981, really built upon the war on drugs and really kind of boosted it forward. And that's when the D.A.R.E. program was first incorporated and put into the public school's curriculum for people to learn about. Did you guys ever go through D.A.R.E. or anything? Yeah, Mm -hmm. we're all pretty familiar with that, I would imagine. It was pushed so hard. (laughs) Yeah, it was. Yeah, like a mandatory thing at school to go through. Mm -hmm. And it was so like shameful i feel like and just like the way that they presented it to the youth was so scary and fear-based like sure they really wanted to try to like scare you straight kind of mm-hmm. with drugs we always had kids running around at school that would have the dare shirts yeah, too. so it was yeah. always like a reminder i felt like you know mm-hmm. you you'd take these classes and then they pass out these shirts and it's just like you'd see it every so many days some kid would be running around with a dare shirt they had I like always a remember that dare shirt or not dare shirt or dare sign in my like neighborhood streets yeah I yep, was like, they put those a yeah, lot all over the place. It was I really remember seeing that. Yeah. Yeah. It was even more of like a trend for the generation or I guess the age group, like right before us, yeah. like sure. people who were in high school when we were like in elementary school, mm-hmm. you know, in like 2005 mm-hmm. around then they were, that was really popular to wear that. Do you know what they do now for kids? Like what their programs are now, or if they even do a program? I'm, I'm sure, sure they have programs, but I don't know. Yeah. I have no idea what they are, honestly. It could be this. Do they still use dare? Is that still a thing? In my school, it was much more focused on anti-drinking and like not drinking and driving. Yes. And like mothers same. against yep. drunk driving. And and another program was called Alive at 25, but I don't remember anything. But that was that through your school? No, it was a separate program yeah. that came okay. to the school. Gotcha. Like mm-hmm. ran their program, yeah. Yeah. Definitely a lot more focused about partying and drinking and driving yeah. and all that for sure. Yeah. than being under the influence use. in general, but operating a vehicle. Yeah. But are you guys at all surprised that they concluded that D.A.R.E. being the largest fund and national anti-drug program in schools didn't have any effect on children's behavior? That's literally what they found. That's was not effective at all. Like they didn't see any sort of like decline or really that was significant enough to to note with their program and yet they got all this funding for they really really pushed hard to try to make dare a thing and Mm -hmm. and it kind of like just fell flat didn't even make a difference in the end no well i think when you push something like that you know it's like certain rules or even laws when you're young if you're told not to do something you're going to Mm -hmm. do it yeah so when the dare program is pushed so heavily like don't do this you know don't do that you know, pushes some kids to want to do it because yeah, they're maybe, like, yeah. you know, or if they get the opportunity, they're like, okay. It like you know. encourages it. Yeah. Way. Just rebelling, another totally form of rebelling. So I could see how it wouldn't be super effective necessarily. Yeah. That's Absolutely. a great point, John, because I feel like there's a difference between saying like member and mean girls and they're like, don't have sex. You'll mm-hmm. get pregnant and die. Yeah. <laughs> don't have sex. Okay. It's like, don't do drugs. You'll get addicted and die. Don't do drugs. Don't do drugs. Where now I feel like it's a little bit more like, we understand that drugs are a thing. We understand people are going to experiment with them. If you are going to do this and maybe not know so much in like younger school and high school, but definitely like 
in college and just in general, it's like, if you're going to do drugs, let's try and do them safely and mm-hmm. with education and, you know, at least knowing what the risks are mm-hmm. before you do them. Mm. When you look at history and you look at the effect that the war on drugs has had on the nation and on everybody that lives in it, as well as how each of the administrations has treated it and how it's just seems like the problem is not getting any better with the war on drugs. What they're actually trying to do is not happening and drug abuse is going through the roof. I mean, the access is not being taken away. Instead, it's being brought here illegally by the cartels, by all sorts of smuggling and, and drug trafficking and we even have instances in American history where the government has been involved with the drug trafficking as well. There's a number of different instances where the CIA was trafficking. I mean, poppy fields in Afghanistan. There's so many, there's so many different examples of where the government itself and the agencies that are within it were involved in the very thing that they are claiming to wage war on. It's just become very clear to me that the war on drugs has become based on fear and not fact. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it's so much about fear and, and has always been about fear from that reefer madness clip all the way up to now, you know, being scared of the police and, and the disproportionate amount of minorities that are put in prison. I mean, the numbers around that are just shocking and alarming scary and scary. And for nonviolent and for nonviolent offenses, you can be put in prison for the rest of your life. The same as somebody who's murdered somebody it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. And it just shows that there's a, there's a clear issue there and there's not enough fact to back up what they're doing at all. And so it makes you wonder like who is actually benefiting off of the war on drugs? Who are the beneficiaries of this? And clearly the prison systems are a major beneficiary to this because they've got a ton of inmates and it's a business. It's a corporate business, especially private prisons and even the government run prisons. I mean, it's a total business and there's money to be made. And you know, the more inmates they have, it's mm-hmm. you know better for them in a lot of right. cases. And right. they've got to find people to fill that. Mm-hmm. You know, if you were to look at all the inmates in prison, like you were given the statistics earlier, the, the amount of people in there for drug offenses versus violent offenses and everything else, it would be mm-hmm. shocking. I'm mm-hmm. sure yep. to see how many people are in there for cannabis or other substances. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And not only that, obviously, the war on drugs benefits all the federal, state, local law enforcement agencies because it gives them something to do. And when they have stuff to do, they are getting funding for that. And so that's they have to go and seize drugs and make drugs the big thing because that's the easiest thing to do, right? I mean, it's easy to go find drugs on people. It's hard to solve a murder. It's hard to stop human trafficking. It's hard to do many of these other crimes or solve them, rather. And instead, drugs. I mean, yeah. go watch a, a night of L, go watch a night of live PD or any other cop show, and Seriously. nine times out of ten, it's like a yeah. getting arrested for cannabis yep. or other type of substance. Yeah. And is that really what we want our officers spending their time doing when there's so many other issues? I don't know, man. I don't. With the problems that we have in this country and in the world, especially with human trafficking, I'm just like. Why aren't we focusing more on that or cybercrime for that matter? Why aren't we, you know, spending more time on the internet where shit's going down all the time? Seriously. And they so have true. like a small little cyber unit at the police mm-hmm. station, but yet they've got all these patrol officers that are out arresting people with narcotics every night, mm-hmm. you know? Yep. Nonviolent so, crimes. 
Yeah. And that's the thing is like, it's one thing if you're using a substance and you're doing harm to others, that's another crime. And that's something that, yeah, you should absolutely be arrested for. But if you're just minding your own business and you have a little bit of cannabis on you Mm -hmm. and you're in a state where it's not legal or a country where it's not legal, Mm -hmm. you could be facing prison time or who knows. Felony. It's just insane. It's absolutely insane. Also, multi-billion dollar industries like big alcohol and big tobacco, like we talked about, they obviously profit greatly from this war on drugs because they're not illegal and they're in every grocery store, pharmacies even, Mm -hmm. same place you get your prescriptions for, Mm -hmm. you know, the ailments that these things cause. You can also get the same, you know. So true. You don't even think about that. It's a Just because they're not right next to each other, you don't think twice, but yeah. It might as well be. They oh, might yeah. as well sell all the little cigarlos back in the yeah. pharmacy. Like, I know. It's a joke that they, they try to like make it this separate thing and everything. Mm-hmm. And it just makes no sense whatsoever. And speaking of pharmacy, obviously big pharma profits immensely from these substances being illegal, especially marijuana and, and cannabis and psilocybin mushrooms. Clearly they are the biggest benefactor here because they have all these prescriptions and all these companies just reap billions of dollars in annual revenues. It's insane. And I wanted to bring John in here because John works in the cannabis industry here in Colorado. And your thoughts on what happens if this is made federally legal could be good because access is going to be everywhere, but there's also some negatives there. Will you explain like how the corporate structure could, or how the corporate powers could come in from the big pharma and potentially take over the cannabis industry. Well, you just also touch on the fact that you're like in accounting just so that they kind of, they're aware of like what area of the cannabis industry you're in. Yeah. So I'm in the accounting side, accounting and finance side of the business. Um, So I'll answer your question. It won't be direct here right away, but um, so the cannabis companies, it's really interesting the way the, the federal government has it set up. They they almost have it set up so the cannabis industry in the legal states, um, you know, that's chosen on a state level, uh, fail. You know, and there's different there's different ways they've done that. One of the ways is 280E, which is a tax law. Um, 280E says if you're a Schedule One or Schedule Two substance, you cannot deduct any business expenses from your federal tax return. Wow. So any business expenses are going to be like salaries, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's, it's going to be your rent for your buildings, um, you know, huge, massive expenses, mm-hmm. any type of travel expenses, any type of business development expenses, R&D, mm-hmm. you know, stuff like that. Um, and even even lower level expenses, employee incentives, charity donations, you can't deduct any of that. So on that level, um, if you took, let's say you take both a cannabis and a non-cannabis mm-hmm. um, business, each have one million in sales. So your revenue is one million, right? And then let's say your cost is, you know, to make that revenue is six hundred thousand. So you have, you know, roughly a forty percent margin. Okay. Um, so what would happen is then then your business expenses fall below that. Right, so we're get, we're getting a little deep the accounting side here. I could talk <laughs> oh, about yeah. this all break day. it down, man. <laughs> so, so you're having a forty percent margin, right? Um, so let's say let's say both the cannabis business and the regular business has three hundred thousand in operating expenses. So you have a hundred thousand dollars net profit. Okay. 
So the federal tax rate for corporations is 21%. So if you have $100,000 of net income, you're going to be taxed 21%. $21,000 is your tax liability, right? Mm -hmm. But what 280E does is it doesn't allow the cannabis businesses to deduct those expenses. So they're taking that tax rate, that 21%, and timesing it by that 40% gross margin. So they're oh timesing God. it by 400000 not 100000 Wow. So That's hence comes out to eighty one or eighty four, sorry, eighty four thousand dollars of your tax liability compared to twenty one thousand of your neighbor. That's a liquor store, let's say. That's insane. So it's four, four times time, four times the amount, and that's just an example. It could be more extreme for you know if you're making million, you know, fifty million dollars and stuff like that. It's so more extreme. Literally setting you guys up to fail. Yes. Um, so regardless, you know, there's a there's a six figure tax liability in most cases. Wow. Um, and you know, if you're on the retail side, we're on the whole wholesale side. So I see that side more often, but if you're on the retail side, it's even more difficult than that because you know, you're paying, you have to pay all the sales taxes and stuff like that. That's going, you know, it's 25%. It's going to different that a retailer would have. Yeah. Yes. It's going to the, you know, the city, both the city, the state, like it's, it goes everywhere, you know, towards RTD and transportation it goes to good things. But, um, so it's, it just makes it really difficult to survive and they've structured that um, that way, I believe on purpose. Um, so, so you fail. And so the large corporations, as Josh mentioned, are the only ones that survive. Um, and then the other example of the way they've set us up for failure is the banking. They don't let any cannabis businesses bank in large banks, really any of your big name banks, um, because they're all FDIC backed which um, is the backs, Fed. Yeah. Yes, okay. is federally backed, which backs it. What it does is insure $250,000 in your account. If that's in your account, they'll ensure that if something happens, it, you have it. It's yours. You're right to it. So because of that, there's a lot of cash handling in the cannabis business, which makes it so you know difficult in many ways. One is if you're not sufficient in your bookkeeping and tracking like that. Mm -hmm. Cash gets then, thrown around. Yeah, cash gets thrown around and it's hard to trace. There's no paper Messy, trail. Yeah. Right. So if you're not good with bookkeeping and stuff like that, it gives the IRS a huge advantage to come in and audit mm -hmm. you. And if you can't say where, you know, cash A went from point A to point B to pay this mm -hmm. to pay that. Super clear. It's floating around in your money laundering, right? Right. Yeah. You're illegal at that point. Yeah. And just the idea of cash being handled. So what happens, you know, we'll deliver to stores and you know, they pass along cash to a mm -hmm. driver. And then the driver has to bring that cash back to us. Damn. So the number of hands the cash moves throughout, through. and they set that up, you know, cash, there's a connection to cash, actual physical cash, you know, loads of money and crime. Yeah. So, oh, absolutely. So in both those ways with both 280E and the lack of banking options, they set you up for failure, which kind of the overall idea gets back to Josh's question of um, how they set it up for corporations to only survive. And that's my concern in the long run is the mom and pop shops won't be able to survive because if you, you know, let's, if you're making only a small amount mm -hmm. and then you're paying these huge tax bills, how are you four times what you, how are you be? going to survive? It doesn't make sense. So my concern in the overall long run is it, it's going to get legal and become legal in every state. But if it's corporate, it's going to be only corporations running because they're the only ones that can survive. And that's what the federal mm -hmm. government wants, right? They want exactly. these large corporations. Mm-hmm. And the corp, so they'll be able to control that. And, um, and then you just don't know what type of quality products you're getting. Right. Mm -hmm. Because they're all in it for the money. 
Right. And at they're that not- point, the federal government's going to be happy because of the tax dollars they're getting from these massive corporations, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, right now it's pretty strict on certain, you know, testing. Let's say all flour and concentrates and everything like that, edibles has to be tested for, you know, potency, mold, like all sorts of things. Um, heavy metals has been a new recent thing too because of really? the whole vape, you know, the whole vape yeah. crisis. Oh, I'm sure like they're like, never they want to make sure again. nothing is in oil that's being smoked. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think some of that could kind of ease up and, you know, some of it could kind of get thrown aside, you know, as what happens with large corporations now with large pharmaceutical companies, mm-hmm. they're not getting shut down necessarily. If they make a boo-boo, you know, it's a little slap on the wrist with a fine. Here's a you know, yeah. a million right. dollar fine, but to them, Definitely. a million dollars is just pocket change. But to a small company, that's yep. out of business. Yeah. yeah. So I, you know, I think it's, it's going to expand to the whole U S I just don't know at what rate. And by then is it too um, taken over by these large corporations, right. the which corporations are going to sink their teeth into it. And which, if they get a hold of it, yep. like mm-hmm. they have gotten a hold of like the pharmaceutical industry, is so tied into that whole thing and it's corrupt it's so corrupt and i'm so afraid that cannabis and the whole industry will become corrupt and unfortunately i've started to kind of witness some of that already really already the small mom and pop shots because of this they can't survive and um so there's been a lot of consolidation and acquisitions and mergers and stuff like that recently a lot yeah because they've started they past that now that you can kind of go into certain states and invest if you're out of, an out-of-state investor before that wasn't really a thing oh, wow. but now it's more of a thing so you're seeing these large corporations come in and Bunch buy out people. massive yeah. you know massive retail chains and stuff like that and grows so they're going to run the whole seed to sale um, process exactly and, and you that's just, concerning because it's like, do they have your health in mind? Do they right? Have, right? No. Because when have, have they ever the quality in mind? Because yeah. the figures that are going to come in um, that have this money and the monetary power is going to be people from the pharmaceutical industry, people from the tobacco industry, people mm-hmm. from the alcohol industry, mm-hmm. people from these already kind of twisted and well established, yeah. yeah, which are then going to follow or could I shouldn't say will, but could follow certain political agendas. Oh, absolutely. You know, as with like alcohol and tobacco, Mm -hmm. that's Mm -hmm. a huge population control driver. Definitely. Um, You know, revenue driver, as long as they continue that, which I also think kind of, you know, plays into what's happening now, which I think is really super interesting with it, with cannabis being, um, you know, illegal on the federal level still, but with this whole pandemic going on, Mm -hmm. my business and other businesses are considered essential businesses. Yeah, isn't that right? Yeah, and there can, in my eyes, which I want, I want your guys' opinion too, but in my eyes, there's kind of two main reasons that I see at least, and one is just kind of the overall welfare of the public because mm-hmm. they know, especially on the alcohol side, but I think the the marijuana side had to follow is if they cut that off, you know, in the U.S. there's a ton of drunks, so what's going to happen if you cut off alcohol? You know, you're going to have all this outrage, and then people are yeah. going to be flooding the hospitals when we need the hospitals open now for the right. pandemic. Um, so I think just overall welfare. And the second thing is, is the tax revenue. Now they're realizing with the economy tanking that they need cannabis businesses to survive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's just really interesting to me because we're essential, you know, and um, there's still states next to us that it's, it's still federally legal and illegal on the state level. And, you know, you could serve quite a bit of time in prison for, you know, even just possessing cannabis. Yeah, can It's pretty mind blowing. Yeah. But overall, overall the, you know, the, the U.S. does set it up 
Um, and the federal government has set it up so we can, you know, we can have cannabis, but good luck surviving. That's kind of what they did. They wanted it to dwindle down to just the big players. Yeah. And they hope that, and they hope they catch you riding dirty, man. Exactly. They want you to Mm -hmm. fuck up so that they can Uh shut you down. And Uh they're like hawks, the eyes on you at all Uh times. So I think what worries me the most is that potential. So right now in Colorado and many other legal States, or if all of them, you can grow plants. And it worries me that if the corporations get involved and all of a sudden we've got Walmart running our weed dispensary or something, or, you know, there's a shop inside of Walmart where you go and get it from Kirkland Costco. Yeah, you can. Mm. Yeah, exactly. They have their little like sectioned off area for alcohol right now. It's not far away. No, it's really not far away. That's like where you go get your weed. And then Mm -hmm. the government's like, all right, well, we've got all these options for you now. We're going to take away your, you know, you don't need to be growing it at home. You don't need to be involved in the process right. whatsoever because like right now i can't sit here and like make xanax at home right you know you can't mm-hmm. make prescription pills at home right. you have to buy those from the pharmacy so they're gonna they're gonna twist this they're giving us a little bit of freedom now but as mm-hmm. soon as they can gain the sure. power back they're gonna it's gonna shift yeah, back to them it's a fine line and we're gonna be going to walmart to get our weed well we oh. were even talking about that before there already is that kind of fine line right they give you the right to grow and mm-hmm. uh, up to six plants but what was it three flowering i think only three flowering at once um and then possessing only one ounce but you can only possess an ounce legally That's so how does that much. work right Right. They set you up to grow and three plants can flower. If three plants are flowering, I can it's tell you from my experience, that's a lot more than an ounce. A lot, yeah. You a know? lot. Even small plants, you're going to yield at least an ounce, if not, you know. So they are setting you up to fail. Yeah. Think so about. even on that level, it's kind of interesting, you know, because yeah. they let you grow. But mm-hmm. it's that fine line. If you got, mm-hmm. for some reason, got raided or, you know, something like that, which is in the extreme. Trouble. But still, yeah, you could be in a lot of trouble, so. And with this whole surveillance thing going on and just with the pandemic and everything and how there's starting to be this fear that the government may be able to track you and through apps and your phones and everything, I, I really start to worry about like how free are we at this point? And, you know, are we being watched and surveilled? Is my phone recording everything I'm doing? You know, do they know what's going Does You know, if you have a security system like ADT or something, do they have access Mm. inside your home? Are they listening? Sure. Like how much of that is actually happening? And I don't know. I I don't know if I totally trust this whole system because it's clearly set up right now to make you fail. And even if it is federally legalized, like we all hope and pray for, is that going to be a huge benefit or better than the situation we have right now? And I just don't know because... I am watching these smaller dispensaries get bought up by these bigger investment companies and corporations and stuff. And it may, it worries me a lot. And like you said, the mom pa shops are starting to close up. Mm-hmm. Like we were just, we were just at a dispensary in a town in Southern Colorado. And he was telling me that because of the pandemic, I think like 30% of the dispensaries in the town were closing because they can't compete with the larger ones that are like chains mm-hmm. that, mm-hmm. Yep. It's crazy that there's weed chains, guys. Like, if survive you, it. Yeah, yeah, it's it's bizarre the way it is right now, even, and it's worrisome for sure. That brings up a good point too, because those dispensaries, a lot of the border town dispensaries, um, and even Mountain Town here in Colorado, is all foot traffic, foot traffic, and tourists Tourism. and stuff like that, yeah. mm-hmm. which is also really interesting because in the legal states, you know, they've given. The, the states have given these dispensaries the rights to sell to out-of-state travelers, right? Mm-hmm. 
So, you know, what happens is a lot of times those shops that you're probably talking about is people that are coming up from New Mexico. Coming yeah. down from Wyoming. Arizona, exactly down or from Wyoming, or from Nebraska, mm-hmm. anywhere. Um, you know, it allows them to buy not as much as a Colorado resident, but pretty close. And I actually think they might have upped it up to an ounce for them as well. But oh, really? You know, what do they really expect those people are doing? How many of those people are actually staying in town and just visiting? Or how many of these people just yeah. drove Bring up here, mm-hmm. you know, 50 miles so they could take stuff and then drive right back across the border? That's absolutely. So, That's and then, you know, they know that. So then the, you know, the officers and stuff like that are sitting on the other side and they know people are coming back. So it's just the whole system is still kind of rigged. Totally. Yeah. yeah. It's, doesn't make sense. No. We need to figure out a way that we can make it accessible and legal for everyone and people aren't going to prison for it, but without the corruption coming along with it. And how do you do that? How do you make something accessible for everyone but still regulate it without having the big corporations sinking their teeth into it and corrupting it? That's I don't know what the answer is. Have you thought of like what the best scenario would be if we could figure out a way to do this the right way yeah i've thought a lot about it but i don't i don't have a clear answer to what the right plan of attack or the right plan moving forward would be Mm -hmm. um i think especially if corporations took it over it would almost give the federal government more control to an extent because i think they would be able to structure it more to protect the pharmaceutical industry and some of these other substances and um, you know jobs out there that it would take or you know impact. So I don't know. I mean, I think on its normal path, it would take over those industries um, because of all of its benefits. But yeah, I don't know. That's a great question. I'm I'm not sure what the right plan is to stop that. It all goes back to greed, which has kind of been the whole theme. Of everything of this of this talk and the whole theme of the war on drugs. So how do you how do you fight greed and how do you fight that power when there's so much money up top that's just driving it? Mm-hmm. Like what's the, you know what's the answer to that? It's hard to say. Yeah, uh, it's I don't know if there is an answer to that question at all because the uncertainty surrounding the people in charge and the people that run these corporations and stuff. I mean, we don't know what their agenda is. I mean, maybe we're wrong and it's more positive and maybe there is some good people out there that are at the top that are pushing to try and get this just medicine out to people because they know it can help them and it can help the the population. And not only that, I think the biggest thing that should come from nationwide legalization is just the incarceration and, and getting, yeah. getting people yes. out of prison that are there, especially minorities that are there unfairly and for, nonviolent offenses, mm-hmm. especially dealing with cannabis. And I mean, we've started to see that, you know, people being pardoned as legalizations happening throughout the States, but not as fast as it, needs but not to as much. No. In, no. And still a lot of people are remaining. I mean, trafficking, like if you were growing it and distributing it, that's mm-hmm. a totally different story than just being in possession of it. Yeah. Right. So it's not like all those people are getting out. Sure. Mm-hmm. So it's really, really tough because I think we have a real big moral dilemma happening here. And that's really what it comes down to is we have to look at our belief systems as human beings. And it, it all really of this true. war on drugs comes back to the war on consciousness and I think the so conspiracy too, yeah. of it all. And it really does. Like clearly they are trying to keep, keep us 
held down in our minds from being able to expand and explore like who is anyone how is it anyone's right to take the ability away to of your own consciousness like you should have control over that out of anything mm-hmm. your body I agree and your that. consciousness oh. especially or your soul whatever you want to call it you should have ultimate control over there why is a government or authority or entity telling us that we cannot use a substance because they don't want you to even come up with that question. They don't even want you to think about, wait a second, how, why are you in charge and who are you to tell me what to do? And those thoughts come to you when you use these substances. It's very clear that that is exactly what they don't want us asking questions. They don't want us to want to change Mm -hmm. things, but they'll use it against us Mm -hmm. and they'll attempt to destroy us through it. And that's why it's such a serious issue. Like I'm sure some people are like, Oh, this is just a goofy topic, but it's such a serious, deeply rooted issue that messes up our society in so many ways. And if you really are into conspiracy theories, this is really one of the biggest ones. Real and true one. If I've ever seen a a conspiracy, Mm -hmm. this is it right here. And there's so much proof and evidence that we talked about throughout this podcast about just going back to ancient cultures till now, if you look at how history's played out, how the families came together and took over the world, essentially as crazy as that sounds, it's all true. I mean, it's all there in history and all you have to do is just connect the dots. Mm -hmm. And once you connect the dots, you realize that this is exactly what has happened. And now, you know, it's not the same people that started it. You know, we're not dealing with the same families necessarily now, but the structures that they created mm-hmm. live on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. These corporations live on. And the politicians and the political parties and the lobbyists and special interest groups, they all live on. And the government has yep. not evolved no. since the early 1900s. We're still in that same system that we were yep. 100 years ago. That's the real problem here mm-hmm. is it comes back to we have to like change our entire system and come back to who we are as human beings and recognize like our connection with the planet and our connection to all of these natural substances that are out yes, there that yes. are clearly, I mean, why the fuck even have these at all? Why do they exist at all? If you yeah. think about why do they exist? Why do they have these properties? Why do they uniquely affect every single one of us in such a profound way? Why do they have all these medicinal benefits to them? Is it just random chance, random evolution that pop, 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 they just popped up? Most of them are naturally yeah. growing, or at right. least, you know, as far as psilocybin and mm-hmm. cannabis. For and thousands and, like and thousands and thousands of years, like all these other plants on earth. I know. Yep. It makes absolutely no sense. It seems no like sense. it's made for our use. And that's the way I personally see it. To me, it's a medicine for my chronic pain that I experience. And it reduces my pain so much. It makes such a big difference. And it feels to me like a gift from the gods. I don't know. You know, it just feels like it feels spiritual to me in a way because it's helped me in so many ways and I'm so grateful for it. But to sum everything all up, it's very clear that the war on drugs was not successful. It did not fix anything. It didn't change no. anything. In it fact, made a it made things worse. crime way up. Yeah. People being incarcerated unfairly and the people in charge gaining control and that control's gotten greater and the greed has gotten greater and the money, the money we've wasted over trillion dollars mm-hmm. on this, like 
the amount of money the wasted money. into this war mm -hmm. that they've waged. Imagine if we took that money and put it into our health system, our education system, climate change. Yeah. Basic things Talk about healthcare for everybody. Yeah. Free. Seriously. Free healthcare, mm -hmm. free education. Not pushing anything, but yeah, I know <laughs> so many okay. things that Seriously, that money could though. be used for. Yep. And the money for war and all that. So it's very clear that the war on drugs was a tool, a mechanism in order to wage war on our consciousness and on us as a people and, and a civilization and control us. Mm -hmm. And that's where I'll leave you is with that thought. There you go. So even if you've never tried any of these substances, by no means are we telling you that you should go, you should go try them no. or that, you know, they're necessarily good for you. Do your own research, consult an expert, yep. consult your doctor if you need to always, you know, it is not for everybody. Definitely let us know what you guys think about the war on drugs. What's your opinions on it? Do you have any personal experiences regarding it or people that you knew that were affected by it? Also, thank you, John, for coming on the show, providing that great insight on the industry. Of course. Really thank you so it. much. Thank you for having me, guys. Of course. I appreciate it. It's always fun. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Mile Higher Podcast. Be sure to follow us on our social media at Mile Higher Pod. You can also check out our brand new Discord server, which is free to use. And we've been having a lot of fun with that. So we'll link that below. Yeah. Continue this discussion there for sure. Definitely. Also, merch drop. Yes. Check that out. And we got 25% off at Hemp Bombs for that CBD code Malhar. But that is it for us today. Thanks to guys again. And we'll see you next week. Stay safe. And stay woke. <laughs>